0: Hi there, I'm David Harvey and I'm here with John Andrews and this is the Two Texts Podcast. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries here with you every two weeks talking about two different texts from the Bible. In this season, as we enter our second year of podcasting together, we step beyond the stories of Jesus and the Gospels and into the book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a series of stories and events from the early church when they encounter the disrupting presence
1: of the Holy Spirit. So David, we are back in chapter 3 and we finished this gorgeous story of the man being healed at Gate Beautiful and we, we were reflecting on this idea just as we finished last podcast that the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Mm. And I loved your thought, the beautiful contrast of this gorgeous gate, this bronze coated gate. But the thing that was catching their attention and their wonderment and their amazement was the healing of this man. Mm. But of course, this moment then creates another moment. It 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 now creates an opportunity for Peter to speak to this group of people and that's the bit now we're going to pick up we're going to uh, I suppose we might reflect on this as Peter's second official sermon at least on yeah. the record I'm sure he's preached other sermons privately mm-hmm. but this is like his second public sermon on the record mm-hmm. so it'll be fascinating to hear what Peter has to say on the back of this incredible miracle and you're 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 going to read the passage for us
0: it's, it always interests me as well, John, that sometimes pastors and churches get criticized for always having sermons, everything. And why, why do we do that? Why are you always doing sermons? And, and then you read Acts and realize, oh, this is where we learned it. <laughs> anything, anything that happens is an opportunity for a good sermon, a sermon. isn't it? Come on. <laughs> so, well, let me read from Acts chapter 3 and verse 11 then. And it reads like this. While the man held on to Peter and John... All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets." For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways.
1: Incredible, isn't it? I, mm. I mean, what I'm struck by when you read that, it's, it's one of the advantages. Again, we've reflected on this. When you hear a passage read and don't just read it or you mm. read it for yourself out loud, you are hearing Things and as you read that so beautifully, I mean, you you hear an incredible clarity and oratory and confidence in Peter's own um, ability. I mean, mm. this, from what we know of Peter, which is a bit sort of scratchy around the Gospels. I mean, this this sounds like a, a really well. Polished, well thought through, well developed argument, and mm-hmm. yet it, it it could be argued there's a sort of a level of spontaneity about this sermon that that yes. Peter hadn't planned to preach that sermon at the hour of prayer, but he is now responding to the crowd coming to him. But yes, listening to it again and having read it dozens of times, but hearing it, you go, mm. wow, it's just a superb. Piece of work. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's confident. It's clear. It's articulate, and it really, really lands the ideas. And I'm just struck by, by how good it was mm-hmm. and who's speaking. I, I don't know if that. It just struck me afresh as I was listening to it, even as you read yeah. it. It's just powerful.
0: Well, it, it's funny because there's always that moment when we, when we finish reading a text on two texts. Sometimes the stories are funny, and sometimes they're impacting. And there's always that thought of. What do what do we say next after the scriptures? Right, <laughs> and, and I found I didn't say anything this time, but there was a part of me wanting to say, Peter knows where it's at, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. it's and that's true. what struck me as I was reading it. Was mm. he used the word clarity? He is absolutely clear on what he thinks is going on here and why we're getting into trouble. I, I always will will make this point. John, because I don't want to rely on somebody having listened to another episode to track this episode. But I think it's worth noting fellow Israelites. So yes. so some of these speeches in acts have been taken in later parts of church history and used to produce some very anti-Jewish sentiment. Right? But this is Peter. Speaking to his friends, <laughs> speaking to people he knows, saying, Come on, we've made a mess of this here. he's not he's not structuring some anti-Semitic notions, no. which unfortunately, various points of history have try to utilize texts like this for this. So, so for me, this critique is an internal critique, which is so powerful that I was thinking about that. I can't remember the exact quotation, but there's a famous, there's a famous quote from the rabbis, which says the way to train a child in Torah is to take Torah. And stuff the child like an ox, <laughs>
1: and
0: so to just 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 keep just keep yeah just keep feeding them Torah, and and this will be good for them, and and it, there's a set level of which. Here's where I when I listen to Peter's sermon in Acts two, and I listen to Peter's sermon now in Acts three, I also find myself thinking I'm beginning to get an insight into what Jesus and his disciples talked about when we were wandering around the various parts of Israel. Because you've got Jesus in the Emmaus road, beginning with Moses and the prophets, explaining oh, the story, right? But now you've got Peter going, well, this is that. This is Joel. This is this. This is the next thing. Now you've got him going, let me give you a little bit of history. Let me track where things went wrong. And that's going to keep happening. And then you get Stephen. And now think about him. He's a Greek convert to Judaism, who is now a convert to Christianity. But when he gets his moment, he does the same thing. He says, oh, look at the story and look at where we've gone, look at where we've gone astray on this story. So to me, I feel like it's an insight into what do Christians talk about? What did Jesus talk about? And I think they're spending lots and lots of time telling their story, but yeah. through a messianic lens. And that's where the, I think the Emmaus Road, you and I have said before, isn't it frustrating we don't have this sermon? I wonder if we see insights <laughs> to it all over the place that it. Jesus begins with Moses and the prophets and explains the Messiah
1: through the story that they knew. I mean, do you resonate with that? Totally. And in fact, it struck me as you read it out loud to me and I heard it again, but, you know, he references Abraham, Isaac, mm-hmm. Jacob, he references Moses, Samuel, and then finishes with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 and, and then he throws in oh, and all the prophets. So it's it's like serious. He has wheeled out serious heavy hitters there. So he is positioning this conversation, uh, and this again, where I would totally agree with you, and I do hate what what certain people have done to this and made it an anti-Semitic diatribe. It is absolutely appalling to me. And I don't know how you manage to do that if you read the Bible properly in this context. So, so he is appealing to his fellow Israelites on the basis of the biggest names they know. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the heavy hitters of Tanakh. And yeah. and he has he's already in his first sermon referenced people like Joel and he's called David a prophet and he we, we've got all of that going on now he is leaning into the great patriarchs Moses of course and and I think the Moses quote is is a game changer I mean I think I think his connection to Moses is. A prophetic statement of Deuteronomy 15 is absolutely immense moment, and I think it's almost a, a fulcrum moment in the sermon. And then he goes back to Abraham and finishes with Abraham, and that's the trump card in a Jewish conversation. You know, you put Abraham on the table, and everybody's going to pay attention. So it's a superb sermon that draws a Jewish audience into the messiahship of Jesus. Through the journey of the nation and through some of the greatest people within that nation and and therefore it's it's little wonder that they that they listen so attentively mm. to what Peter has to say in this context and 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 i do I do think, of course, Peter probably is playing off something different. You know, in in his first sermon, he's he's responding to the filling of the Spirit and therefore has to explain that and then move on. Whereas here, off the back of a miracle, I think there's probably an openness and a softness to potentially what he's going to say in the light of a guy that we've all seen every day begging. And he's jumping around like, like a crazy horse so so <laughs> you, peter takes full advantage of that but it's a magnificent magnificent sermon and and even the the connection we talked
0: about in the last episode and we even see it in Acts 242 sort of section of of Acts chapter 2 the return to the abrahamic promise to me is is quite powerful as well uh, at keeping it within the people of Israel. This is not, actually, this is what we've always thought was going to happen, that all, through our offspring, all people on the earth will be blessed. And, and, Mm -hmm. And you can't help but think that this conversation is happening with, I mean, if you take the text at its at its literal sense, the, the man appears to be clinging to Peter. Right? So, yeah. so Peter, Peter and John, this man's hanging on to them while Peter says, "Through your offspring, all peoples of the earth will will be blessed." It's it, it, his use of. Of, of very significant moments of Scripture to actually explain the particular moment they're in is a, a little feature that, that Peter does, which again to me speaks to his deep knowledge of Scripture, that he can he can sit in a moment and say, oh, this is that, and, and let me just bring out the whole story and point that out to you, citing, as you say,
1: key, key texts. Yes, yes, absolutely, and and I do I do love the the sort of the little a concluding part of that verse twenty six. He said, "God, when God raised up His servant, speaking of Jesus, He sent Him first to you mm. to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways." And that is that is again a pattern that that the church tries to remain deeply faithful to in the Book of Acts. They try to go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They try first to allow this message to be heard by local synagogue communities or local Jewish communities. And and Peter here in, in the context of the Temple Court, he said, it has come first to you. Now now what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with this? And again, I, I think that reinforces the idea that that far from this being an anti Jewish diatribe, this is this is Peter desperately trying to bring his people into this amazing message and this amazing messiah. Who's just healed this man in front of them? So, so it's a it's a it's a beautiful reminder of the of the power of that. Absolutely, and and I think that's that's an
0: act theme. Then that we're actually seeing, as you say, and, and and a theme that even I think you see, I think you see that theme then beginning to make space in in Paul's work as well. Of, of course, uh, of this this desire to to. This desire to see the people from whom the Messiah came to recognize him as the Messiah. And and I think before we're too harsh, perhaps, on, on the people around the, the early apostles, it's worth noting that messianic pretenders were a very common thing of around the time of Jesus. You see that in Gamaliel's speech, don't you? So there's always this possibility that there's (laughs) there's somebody pretending to be the messiah so it's not uncommon to go well well let's just hold on for a second before we all go get ourselves killed following yet another fake messiah Mm. and i think that's to me the significance of steven's this is that sermons because he's pointing out yeah but there's some stuff happening here that's undeniable this man Used to be able, used to not be able to walk, and now he can walk. Yes, it seems like. Yeah, do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want to push too hard against the the the, the caution around
1: accepting a messiah. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. And and again, these these signs. So Peter's sermon, the second sermon, has now come off the back of another sign. These in in Peter's first sermon, he talked about the signs and wonders that jesus performed mm. that were a, a means of accrediting him as the mm. messiah and and here's another sign that allows a platform for people to hear again this message maybe mm-hmm. maybe some have have come in contact with the followers of the way maybe yeah. this conversation starting to break out Around the temple and around community groups and conversations, mm-hmm. but of course, when you're speaking off the back of a miracle, you're not so much speaking against something; you're now speaking for something. You're you're, you're mm-hmm. speaking into something deeply positive that only the hardest hearts or the most cynical person would mm-hmm. would sort of close themselves down to. And so and so Peter is using these signs, the the outpouring of the Spirit, as as in a an attester and a firmer of this work of Messiah and now the healing of this man as an accreditation, not only now to the Messiah, Jesus, but to the community that follows him, the the, the people mm-hmm. of the way. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I think these are important little things to remember and, 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 and remember that, that the culture of Peter would have been very polarised, very divided, expectations of Messiah all loaded with political ideas and a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of behaving is being shaped by this new yes. community so not an easy task at all in the context of what they're trying to achieve and it's interesting how the narrative of the
0: sermon speaks into Jesus and and his resurrection and and I love this sort of contrast there but how we've got a man who has been who has been raised at some level if if you go back to to verse to verse 7 he, peter takes him by the hand and raised him up and there's there's a potentially just a little nuance there of of the raising up of this man and then a hmm. sermon about about how you rejected the holy one and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead Yeah, to beautiful, this beautiful. we are the witnesses so there's almost this contrast that Peter's playing where you are the witnesses to the raising of this man who cannot walk but I am a witness to the raising of the author of life mm-hmm. who you attempted to kill it's mm-hmm. it's quite a it, it's quite a clever little rhetorical play that he makes there to Brilliant. to get to his point
1: yeah Brilliant, beautiful, and and, uh, and and again, I I I love then sort of this sense that he, that he moves from that in into this appeal based mm. on not just what they're seeing, yes. not just what Peter has claimed to see, but now he says Moses saw this, mm. Samuel saw this. Abraham saw this, Isaac saw this, Jacob saw this. Uh, he he's now appealing we, we had this conversation on the, our last podcast about seeing stuff, but but mm. you know, he's now appealing to them and he's saying actually Moses sort of foresaw this prophet who would rise up, as did Samuel and the other prophets. So I, I, it's a very, very clever thing that Peter's doing. He's not just relying solely on this miracle as the basis of either convincing people or trying to, let me be careful what I say, trying to manipulate them. But he goes mm-hmm. from the miracle of this man being raised, the miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead, to the... To, the, the veracity of the word of God, their word, the Hebrew Bible, okay. which then backs up that they saw this and therefore mm. what we're now seeing is the outworking of what they saw all those years ago. So it's a, it's a mm. brilliant, it's a brilliant piece of work bringing, bringing the argument back to mm. solid foundation that that crowd could go away and think about and not just, my goodness, Among God healed, yes. but, but. But actually, Peter claims that what we saw today is the evidence that Jesus is Messiah. What is interesting, as as well, is is the
0: the lens of Jesus and how it rewrites history, which I and I, I, I want to be cautious with my language there. So, but but the way that peter tells the story i think almost gives us an insight into how christians preach and how christians tell stories because i i do think of acts as it is both the story of the early church and a guide to the to the church it is it is showing us how to be so so here um peter takes this story of, of us. And he's pointing it constantly to Jesus, right? So this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. All this story. So, and, and even some of the rhetoric's very clever when he quotes Moses, raise up from you, from your own people, a prophet like me, you must listen to whatever he tells you. So he's even inserting himself somehow into being the person. But, but I was sort of drawn by this notion this is the second recorded sermon of the church. So how is this shaping how we talk? Essentially, the whole story points towards Jesus. But I, this is what I'm trying to say. It's interesting that this model carries through so that you jump forward to months of, from where we'll be in the podcast, but to Paul in chapter 17 in Athens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Notice Paul does exactly the same thing in Athens. And at, what do you call it? As Peter does here at the Gate Beautiful. Peter takes the story that's familiar to everybody there and points out it is pointing to Jesus. Paul gets up in Athens and takes some idols that he saw in the in the in the courtyard. He takes poems from their background and says, oh, by the way, these are all about Jesus, right? Mm. And so we, I mean, I grew up singing a song in him we live and move and have our being, right? I won't sing it for yeah. you, don't worry. But the fact that I, I was in my I was in my 20s as a seminary student when I realized in him we live and move or have our being is a poem about <laughs> Zeus, right? And, and Paul takes this poem about Zeus and says, oh yeah, that too is actually <laughs> about Jesus, right? So, but think about this. This is a powerful model for how we tell stories as Christians today. Can we take any story and show how actually this story is attempting to point at Jesus? Right now, there's the obvious stories: C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, right? But it's almost as if the early Christians believed that so central is Jesus to the world hmm. that. Any story will eventually draw you to him, even if that story had no intention of doing this. That mm-hmm. that that, that uh, let's. I'm going to write a poem about Zeus, and Paul can come along and go, "Well, it's not actually about Zeus now, but I am going to mm-hmm. show you that 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 actually the poem is speaking the truth if you make it about Jesus." And yeah. I find that it might sound controversial, but I think, found it quite exciting
1: how mm-hmm. grand their vision of Jesus was. Yes, yes, it's fascinating, and yeah, I, I mean, uh, 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 that that really has made me think in in terms of that sort of wider conversation. How how Paul uses that, but but I suppose it's inevitable. So wherever we land on that, whatever we conclude about that, it is inevitable that once you become saturated in a Jesus conversation, it it is it is easier to see him in places mm-hmm. that you would have never considered him before. And so, mm-hmm. so like Paul in his own life, when he when he becomes a follower of Jesus, he writes to the church at Galatia uh, well, to, to the Galatians, and he he says, "I was set apart from my mother's womb." You know, you, mm-hmm. now now that's I I would argue that's one of those one of those cases you're you're describing at least on the surface mm-hmm. on the fringe of it. That's that's Paul slightly rewriting history. That's Paul going set apart. Now, technically speaking, of course, we could argue Paul was living a life uh, onto something else. Now he, he thought he was Mm. serving the one true God, ended up fighting against Jesus. But then when he meets Jesus and he looks back on his life, it goes, Oh yeah, that all connects together. That all makes sense. I understand he Mm. was in all of that. Joseph looks back and says to his brothers, you sold me, but God sent me. And, Mm. That narrative becomes the driving narrative of history. That, as the psalmist said, Joseph sent by God, sold as a slave. Well, actually, he was sold. And then later on, it's Jacob, who, it's Joseph who interprets the idea of, of mm-hmm. sending. Because it's, it's quite striking. In G- Genesis 37, there's not a single reference to God. But when Joseph talks about it in chapter 45, God's all, all over the story. Now, if you read the story in 37 you're 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 implying God's in this. you read the story from forty five God's everywhere in it, and the mm-hmm. difference is how Joseph is now interpreting the story so I, I I absolutely you you made my head melt a little bit there, and I'm sort of go okay wh- where's that going but actually there's a sense in which we can see that conversation happening in so many different ways throughout the biblical mm-hmm. text where someone through the lens of God's redemptive grace and mercy is able to read a story or read history or read something in a different way than might be expected because of this this Jesus land. So it's a fascinating idea, David. That's absolutely mm. incredible, really.
0: Well and and again, going back to Emmaus, that is what Jesus models exactly. first. I'm gonna tell yeah. you the story but I'm put me in the story. Mm. So at the risk of sounding slightly controversial then, I, I wonder about how that even affects how we think about kind of missiology about how we do mission as the church, that so often what we've done is we, we go to a different people group and we say, no, get rid of all of your stories. We're going to now tell you our story and our story now has to become your story. Not realizing that we're a bunch of British people <laughs> t- telling a story of Israelite people, right, that, that came to us via Roman people, right? So, so actually, what is? So, I was thinking, I have a, I have a friend over here in Canada who is 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 helping me understand the sort of indigenous history of of, of yeah. Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And and she she says that what often gets missed in the storytelling is when the early settlers moved to Canada and met indigenous people and the early settlers were Christians and and they started to tell stories about God as creator and and, and Jesus as his son. She said, if you read the, the earliest stories, the indigenous people had no problem with this story because yes. they said, oh, we, well, we know that there is a creator. Yes. So we're interested to hear about this Jesus Somewhere in the process, this storytelling completely fell apart, and it became the settlers trying to eradicate the indigenous history and create a, a "quote unquote" Christian history in Canada. Yeah. But in the earliest story, there was this opportunity to say, to, "I think to to do what to do what you see the early church doing is mm. well, let us hear your stories, and then we'll try and help you see where Jesus is in this story. That Jesus, mm. if we really believe." that he is creator god right which the bible yeah. seems to be at pains to tell us then we should expect that that he is everywhere right and mm. and i'm not pushing for some sort of universalist idea no. of religion when i say this mm. but notice what paul's doing in athens he says mm. you said this about zeus but i'm going to say actually if you really listen to it it's trying to point you to jesus because of course yeah. he does paul wouldn't accept zeus as as a power yeah. and and i think there's something Challenging for all of us as Christians mm. there to say what are the stories that you are part of? Mm. And even as Westerners, perhaps as our story is becoming increasingly less Christian, how how are the stories now being told? How how is the story of our of our lives now being unpacked? And where do we let me ask it better like this, John, is the role of the church sometimes to point out where Jesus already is? And <laughs> Yeah, let me just hold that there and let you respond. But yeah. I, I just wonder about that. You know,
1: it's a great it's a great thought, David. And of course it, it 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 does it challenges then our approach to people that we're not. And certainly, I know you're not saying this. We're not in any way compromising the integrity of the Christian message or the message of Jesus as savior and Messiah. Oh, goodness, no. But but you're saying we're we're not setting ourselves up as a as a, a, a from an argumentative point of view it's more well if we if we believe that jesus is is truly saturating the universe that he is the creator and sustainer of all things then there there is a way of understanding someone's story and perhaps helping them to see jesus in or around that story and that is a and that's a a phenomenal idea for us to consider, because then in our approach to people, we we start from a completely different perspective. Maybe a much more humble perspective. Maybe a much more mm-hmm. gracious perspective. Maybe a much more engaging perspective mm-hmm. that actually allows us to create an opportunity for a conversation that may not otherwise be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And without slipping into some sort of sense of all. All things are the same, or all roads lead to the same direction. We're saying, well, "No, no, actually, this is about this is about Jesus, and Jesus mm-hmm. ultimately can bring fulfillment to your story and make mm-hmm. your story absolutely connect and, and blossom, as it were." So, yeah, fascinating idea. I, I mean, it really, really is. It's it's got me thinking. Just as you've been talking, I thought, "Wow, yeah is is that something we need to be more?" considerate of as we reflect mm-hmm. and and how Peter and Paul and the early church try to engage with the story of those around them
0: mm. yeah. and and I think like let me just use a, th- a a very brief example John of the sort of thing that I even have in mind if you've been involved in the church for 30 40 years through the 80s and the 90s you think about how the 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 kind of way of talking about Jesus was definitely focused on you know Somebody might realize that they are cut off from God. Somebody might struggle with their behavior. And I'm going to come along and tell you how Jesus can help you with that. Right? Mm. Well, the narrative of sin as a debate is not one that really happens in the public forum anymore. Yeah. And so, therefore, what I hear quite regularly from people is, well, nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. Mm. Except that what I notice in society is, is that pu- the public discourse is always about sin. Right? Mm. It's just we don't use that language, right? Yeah. So we now talk about environmentalism, for example. Like mm. y- you can pick up a conversation with anybody in any bar in the world about how have we broken the world or have we broken the world? Well, the Bible has a lot to say, and Jesus has a lot to say about that. Look at all of the scandals that are facing the world of we've had the Me Too movement. These are all public discourses about sin. They're They're not called that way. I think if Paul was in these conversations, he'd be sat going, He wouldn't be sat going, Oh my goodness, they're not talking about the right thing. I think he'd be sat going, How do I take a conversation about environmentalism and show, Well, Jesus is interested and present in this? How does Jesus fit into the Me Too movement? How does Jesus, what is Jesus saying about Black Lives Matter? What is Mm -hmm. Jesus saying about political scandals, the divide of left and right? And too often, I think we go, well, until the debate comes to where we're comfortable talking about it, we have yes. nothing to say. We're yes. just going to bang pulpits. Whereas I feel what you see in Acts is that the, the early Christians go, oh, well, this is the situation we're in and this is what everyone's talking about. I can take this situation and talk about Jesus. <laughs> mm. Does that unpack a little bit more of what well, I'm does, kind of scratching at there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's very good. And and it's that sense of creating, I suppose, bridges and connectors to to people's worlds and conversations, not expecting, mm. in in the simplest sense, as was my simplistic understanding and response, would be not expecting them to simply come to where I am or embrace my story as the narrative, but mm. actually there's something beholden on me to listen to their story and seek to engage the Jesus that I believe is the creator mm-hmm. and sustainer and savior of the world into that story yeah. and yeah. and perhaps that would create more opportunities for us within the, the conversations of our world mm-hmm. where 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 actually people need to hear this beautiful message about Jesus but of course mm-hmm. their story is very different from our story and it's finding mm-hmm. ways to connect those two together so yeah absolutely Fascinating.
0: I, I, I had a friend once that, well, he, who is now a friend, and but I met a person once and they discovered very briefly into our meeting that I was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, they said to me, well, I don't want to talk about anything religious. <laughs> and I said, well, that's, that's okay. I said, that, that's totally fine. And then after a few moments of conversation, they, they looked at me and they said, but you know, the thing is, they said, I just want my life to have meaning. Do, yes. do, you, do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> and I asked them, I said, well, well, how do you want me to respond to that? <laughs> because how I might understand, how I might explain why I think you want meaning might sound like I'm going to talk about religious things.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's so true. It's so true. And I, and I think, I, I loved your reflection that, That the world may not use language that biblically we understand, but that's what they're talking about. And Mm. we, as the church need to be more intelligent on our last podcast, we talked about seeing Mm. our world and letting our world see us. And maybe, maybe within this context in in Peter's sermon in the, in the temple, we need to be able to hear our world so that they Mm. can hear us. We, we need to be able, well, what are they actually saying instead of reacting Mm. against what we think they should be saying, what mm-hmm. is it they're saying, and can we somehow, in grace and truth, connect with that conversation and perhaps, like Peter did at the temple courts, lead them towards Jesus? Mm.
0: And I, I mean, it, perhaps this is kind of closing thought, which I'll give to somebody else, but an author and pastor that I, I really am fond of uh, at the moment, Rich Viodas yeah. in New York, he's just brought out his second book, which is called Good and Beautiful and Kind. Right? Mm-hmm. But he begins the book with a conversation about sin, actually. And and, and he, says, he says the same thing, sin, what an uncomfortable word nowadays. But he then starts to define sin as a failure to love. And, mm. and which I actually think is profound, John. Mm. That that mm. You know, so can I engage anybody in a conversation about sin on the subway? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But but there. But most of us are aware of the fact that a lot of our problems in the world come down to somebody is failing to love well somewhere mm. in that process. Mm. And I would say mm. you could discuss. All of the big controversies, the polarization around politics, abortion law is a big thing in North America at the moment, the Ukrainian conflict, the mm. environment, they're all somewhere we're not loving well. Now, the biblical language would be, well, these are all sins, right? Mm. But but what if we change the dam? And this is maybe another example of what I'm saying, Is I think Viotis does that well. But what are we actually talking about? And yeah. is it is it beholden upon the church to find the language that points us to Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's good. what Peter is doing. And I think that's what we should, even if we're just sat across the office desk
1: from a friend, that's the sort of thing that we should be wrestling with and thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And ultimately, as you and I have discussed many times in our lives, have reflected on the, the magnificence of Jesus is, is for us the key that can and does change everything as it, did in the life of this man, as it may have done in the lives of many of the people listen to Peter's sermon. But of mm. course, the the challenge is allowing a world to have a conversation, a meaningful conversation about Jesus. Mm. I, I've said it many times. I, I I don't think people in my country are like just getting up every day, rejecting Jesus. I think most people in my country have never really met Jesus mm. or heard of mm. the Jesus that we talk about me and you and love so much mm. Mm. and and I think if they met that Jesus through a church that is filled with grace and truth then then okay if they reject they reject but but maybe maybe there would be more acceptance in him than rejection if we could somehow bridge the gaps and create those conversations.
0: Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with either of us about something we said, you can reach out to us on podcast at twotext.com or by liking and following the Two Text Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you really did enjoy the episode, then we'd love it if you left a review or a comment where you're listening from. And if you really enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget that you can listen to all of our podcasts from this season and others at www.tutext.com. But that is it for now. So until next time, goodbye.